Today's uh, scripture reading is taken from 2 Timothy 2, verses 1 to 13. It's on page 1205 of your pew Bibles. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of so many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please the commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown, except by competing according to the rules. The hard-working farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not changed. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. I think I've discovered a new mentor over the last couple of weeks. Don't worry, Michael, you're not out of a job yet. This one's been dead nearly 2,000 years. He's called Polycarp. Put, now, in all honesty, put your hand up if you've ever heard of him. Oh, well, that's better than I thought. Okay, thank you. Brilliant. Anybody, anybody, any idea what his name means? Anybody like to hazard a guess? My wife said she thought he sounded like a fish. It's nothing to do with fish, actually. Anybody, any idea what it means? Well, I'm going to tell you. Much fruit. That's what his name means. Much fruit. You'd have probably hazarded a guess at much something, wouldn't you, because of the poly bit. Um, much fruit. That's what his name means. And uh, I feel like I'm so thankful and grateful for, for being invited to, to share a little bit about the life of Polycarp this morning. 
because in all honesty, I do feel that my faith has had a real injection of something during the last couple of weeks as I've been digging into his life and reflecting on the passage from Second Timothy, which Les read to us earlier. He was, there's some doubt as to when he actually died, to be honest. Um, we'll say more about that in a minute, but I don't actually think he lived 100 years. We know that he was born uh, in, a, in AD 55, but at his death, he spoke in terms of being 86. Um, but since, and he'd been a converted 86 years, so he may well have been quite a bit older than 86. But we tend to think of him as having lived 86 years, so there's, there's some doubt about it. He was a bishop of Smyrna, and he was made bishop by the Apostle John, who wrote the book of the Revelation. So he knew personally the Apostle John. He was taught, instructed, discipled, mentored by someone who actually, actually knew Jesus. Do you get the weight of that? His mentor knew personally Jesus. This isn't in the realms of sort of Harry Potter. This is for real. This isn't a fairy story or, you know, a play on Radio 4 in the afternoon. This is the truth. There's historical fact that surrounds the life of Polycarp. If you want to know more about Polycarp than I'm able to share this morning, have a word with Johnny Gordon, who's our newly appointed office administrator, because he's written a thesis on the life of Polycarp. So if, you, if your interest is aroused, have a word with Johnny. He'll tell you far more than I can. So he was appointed Bishop of Smyrna, which is currently would be in modern-day Turkey, around the port of Ithnia on the Aegean. So it still exists, it's just got a different name. Now, when I was thinking about him during the week, I thought, well, we could really do with an image of him. So here he is, as if by magic. He will appear on the screen. There he is, on a Pokemon card because I'm sort of cool and trendy and hip and into all this kind of stuff. <coughs> Not. Um, but, because I know a man who is, I'll ask Fraser to come and explain what Pokemon is and why on earth Polycarp might have a picture of himself on a Pokemon card. Go, you've got a minute. It's quite a, it's quite a tenuous link, really. Um, Owen, I think Owen asked me last week, do you know who Polycarp is? I said... I think that's a Pokemon. <laughs> no, I don't, th- I don't know if you've got the, the other two slides on there. Did you put the other two pictures on there? No. But there's a, there is a Pokemon with such a young congregation, I'm sure you're all clued upon this, that um, there's a Pokemon called Magikarp, and there's a Pokemon called Polygon, or something like that. So I... I think I just twisted the two together and came up with this. But actually, I wasn't, obviously, I wasn't the first person to think of it because somebody else has actually made the image and put it on a Pokemon card. Um, but there's a, there's a new app, I think, that people are going around and just walking into things and 
catching Pokemon. But this is one of the old Pokemon cards from back in my day. I am 27 now, so I'm getting quite old. But I hope that explains this very weird image. Thank you. And actually, this church features in the modern Yeah, I don't know how that works, but this church is a Pokemon gym. So if you want to download the app and come and fight Pokemon here, you can do that. Um, or not. So, form a queue at the end, if that kind of interests you. Um, but I was intrigued to notice that on this card, you can't see it from where you're sitting, but on this card, there are, there are two little uh, words, one which is faith, and the other is grace. And underneath faith, it says, use faith to not burn by fire. That's the first one. And the second one is grace. And it says, when, quotes, fainted, Polycarp will be saved by his trainer's grace. Boom. Because that's exactly what happened to Polycarp. Because of his faith in Jesus Christ, and because of the fact that he lived out a zealous life of faith in God, he obviously flew right in the face of the Roman authorities because they were looking for people who would follow the emperor, Marcus Aurelius, as it was then. But Polycarp didn't. Polycarp maintained his faith and trust in God to the point of being threatened with execution because of his faith. Now, he had a vision as he was waiting for his uh, executors to arrive to take him off to the arena where he would be put to death as public entertainment. He had a vision from God. So he knew what was going to happen to him. He knew what awaited him. But he also heard God speak clearly to him. And what God said to him was this little phrase. Play the man. Play the man, Polycarp. Step up. Go through it. And I'll be with you. So by the time he arrived in front of the proconsul, he was full of faith. He was calm when they collected him. All this is documented historically. He was calm when they collected him. He went with the men, stood in front of the proconsul. And as they were about to nail him to a tree to be burnt, he said, you don't need to put nails in my hands. I'll take it. What faith? What faith? I tell you, if this little community of All Saints Church was injected with one little bit more of the faith that I found in this guy, we would, we would take Worcester for Jesus, no problem. Amen. His trust was phenomenal. You don't need to nail me. I'll stand here. Now, of course, years before, he would have been fed to the lions. But to be a bit more humane, they started to burn Christians at the stake. So they roped him instead. They did tie him with ropes. And um, 
An amazing thing happened. As they lit the fire, get this, it didn't touch him. The fire didn't touch him. Sources tell us that the wind came up and blew the flames in such a way that they formed a sort of a tunnel around him. And he was totally unsinged. I'm blown away by the time I get to this point. I'm thinking, oh my goodness. I get a bit twitchy if someone looks at me a bit funny. If I've talked about Jesus. I'll get a bit twitchy if I think they might think I've sort of slightly offended them. And here he is, ready to be put to death. And such is his faith that he stands there calmly. And this fire forms a tunnel around him. So frustrated were his executioners that in the end they took a spear, a dagger, and stabbed it in his stomach. And that was how he died. Not by the fire. Can I have the next slide, Giles, please? And as he was standing there, waiting to be executed, strapped to this stake, this is what he says. Having been told, by the way, that all he needed to say to escape from all of this was Caesar is Lord. If he'd have said Caesar is Lord, he would have been, I'm just having a look who's hiding behind the pillars, he would have been totally (laughs) released. And he wouldn't have had to go with any of this. But he said, no, I'm not doing that. And here is what he did say. Eighty and six years I've served him, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and saviour? You threaten me with a fire that burns for a season. And after a while is quenched. But you are ignorant of the fire of everlasting punishment that is prepared for the wicked. Wow. So his basic, his testimony, his witness before this gathered crowd is that you think that this fire is going to be an end of me. And you're hoping that because of the threat of it, I will deny my Lord and Saviour. But what I'm saying to you is, what you need to know, is that if Jesus isn't your Lord and Saviour, this is the future that awaits you. Where the flames will be everlasting. Now, we don't actually know fully what separation from God will look like. The Bible gives us some pretty uh, powerful pictures like this. But all I know is that while I'm on this earth, I want to take every opportunity to make sure that I'm in the right place with God to avoid those Are you with me? And I'm looking upon this inspirational 
character to really, literally fire me up. You'll notice particularly in church this morning that we've tried to create a similar ambiance to what he might have found with the heat. We've tried to give you a special little touch this morning that you might get some... No, I jest. Um, <laughs> the heat has... The boil has actually been serviced and it's not been set back properly to its proper timings, honestly. Um, and he also says this, I bless you, Father, for judging me worthy of this hour, so that in the company of the martyrs, I may share the cup of Christ. It's powerful stuff. Next slide, Jars, please. Now, not only was Polycarp, this is where I get really excited, actually. Not only was Polycarp discipled by the Apostle John, but Polycarp himself also discipled others. One of whom was Saint Irenaeus, whose probably most famous quotation is along the lines of, the glory of God is a man stroke woman who is... Thank you, Michael. Fully alive. (laughs) The glory of God is a person fully alive. That was Saint Irenaeus. So, the Apostle John disciples Polycarp. Polycarp disciples, among others... Irenaeus. And this, to be perfectly honest, is what sets me alight. (laughs) Is the prospect of a wave of discipleship which recognizes the value of this. I call it mentoring in what I do. I have the honor and privilege of mentoring Fraser. I also uh, mentor Andy, who's sitting to my left this morning, who's come over from Norwich for 24 hours to visit me. I've known him 14 years. We were just reflecting last night over a curry in the, just over the road here, um, on some of the conversations that we've had over the, those years where we've reached the point now where we invest in each other, I feel. It's an incredibly privileged position to be in. It's one which you know, given half a chance, I'll always be asking people about and trying to encourage folk to enter into with one another. We need to be a church with a community of people who are who open themselves up to being discipled. And I believe on a, on a one-to-one and on a group basis. We also need to be the kind of men and women who then go on to disciple others. So, we, so we're looking for others around us, either in our small groups or in one-to-one settings, in our families, in our teams, where we're investing in one another. We are not meant to do this life on our own. Seriously, we're not. There's such a spirit of independence that's crept into the church where we've made our faith very private. It was never meant to be private. Personal, yes, but not private. We can't do it on our own. It's impossible. I was so blessed last Thursday evening when I met in my little den in my garden, some of you have been there or at least seen it, with two other brothers from this church and we sat there and one of whom was really 
gut level honest about what's going on in his life. All three of us were in tears as we listened to this special guy pour his heart out about how his own life and his family life have come under fire over the last few months. You don't need to know who, you don't need to know the details, but just trust me, it was a special moment as we prayed together. But the breakthrough was when he said, could we take communion? So, I've always got the odd bottle of red lying around, so (laughs) I went and retrieved it, (laughs) and we had a slice of Warburton's, and we sat there with our heads bowed, huddled over this little bit of bread and this little glass of wine. And in the words of John Wesley, (sighs) his majesty came. His majesty came. And we were electrified by the presence of God as we sat there on Thursday evening. As we discipled one another. Now my prayer, and I know this is their prayer too, is that it won't just stay there. And we've committed to use um, something which Daniel Strickland has produced, actually a little app which you can have on your phone called Infinitum, whereby there's a daily verse and a daily thought and some questions that you can ask one another and hold one another accountable in to keep us alive, to keep us alive, that we might present the glory of God to people through our lives. I have a responsibility. You all have a responsibility to keep yourself alive in God, to have a level of trust and faith that if push came to shove, would mean that you could say, I don't care about this fire around me. Because there's something within me that is so much stronger and more vibrant and eternal. What is it that keeps our brothers and sisters in areas of the world where the church is persecuted, alive? I venture to suggest they've often got more than us, which is the level of their faith and trust. When you're herded into your church building and the door's locked and it's set alight, that'll test you. And the testimonies that come through organizations like Open Doors and Release International should fire us up. And we're so apathetic so much of the time. We're so downright lazy and disinterested and bored because of our experience of faith. Because it's not got a bite to it. It's not grabbing us and gripping us and firing us for living every day for him. Here's what uh, Irenaeus said. I could tell you the place where the blessed Polycarp sat to preach the word of God. It is yet present to my mind with what gravity he everywhere came in and went out. What was the sanctity of his deportment, the majesty of his countenance, and what were his holy exhortations to the people. I seem to hear him now 
relate how he conversed with John and many others who had seen Jesus Christ, the word he had heard from their mouths. Does this excite you? That we would have people around us who talk with confidence and passion and excitement about what Jesus is doing in them. I had a few days away with Matt, my son, who don't know. Uh, he's 13 at the beginning of this week. And another of the young guys that I disciple is a vicar in Norwich and he's got a boat. And um, he towed us, well, sailed us, see, I don't even know the terminology, sailed us on his boat <laughs> to, to a place on the broads and left us there for two days. Me and my son, precious. We had some great conversations. But here's my favourite quote from the whole of the three days. Well, Dad, I wrote it down. I said, can I write this down? (laughs) He said, you're all right. In fact, he corrected me when I'd written it down because I got one bit wrong. But he said, I tell my friends, church isn't boring. You should see my dad when he's got the Holy Spirit on him. (laughs) It's like he's having a nervous breakdown. (laughs) Quotes. I hadn't put the nervous bit in, so he made me put that in. So I'm quoting exactly what he said. You know, I get so excited. But it almost isn't enough. The reason I jump up and down and wave my arms and can't get it is because I can't fly. If I could fly, I'd be in and out of these pillars. I've said to you before, it'd be like a Quidditch match in here if I could fly during worship times. I said it wasn't going to be about Harry Potter, didn't I? Never mind. Um, <laughs> but, and then we come, you see, to... How are we doing for time? What time is it? You're okay. Am I? Um, <laughs> in my excitement, I left my phone at home this morning. which has got the clock on it. Um, and then we come to 2 Timothy. Chapter 2. The passage which Les read. Gosh, it, oh dear. <laughs> I mean, I often say to you when I preach that sometimes the Bible just gets a grip of my heart. And if ever there was a a mandate for discipleship, the like of which we've just been considering, it's in 2 Timothy, where Paul speaks to his son, as he calls him, his son in the faith, his child in the faith. And the opening line of those verses says something along the lines of, I pray that you will be full of the spirit of grace, my child. Not only can we not do it on our own, this, this Christian life, we can't do it without him. We need him. We need his spirit filling us up. But I'm going to just pause just for a, a minute or so while I bring Fraser up again, because I want to just give you a little bit of an inkling into... What a a one-to-one mentoring stroke discipleship relationship looks like. Now, I've not primed him, so I don't really know what he's going to say, but I trust him. And um, and I'll never buy him coffee again if he says anything that... Although he tends to buy it, actually. (laughs) Yes, I I was trying to write it down as in how I... My my thought pattern, if you like... um, Which means we've got to stand really close now. Yeah. Like um, yeah, I think Paul said a lot of what I think anyway in terms of um, naturally 
humans are designed to be in community and to be in relationship with each other. Um, and you see it outside of the church, whether it's um, sports clubs, schools, towns, villages, people need to be together. There's, there's like a, an inherent um, thing within humanity that, that we need to be in relationship. And actually we worship a God who in himself is in relationship. And it's like it's a characteristic that we've um, sort of inherited, I think. And what, what stands out to me, and whether we like it or not, when we sign up to become a Christian, we sign up to um, community, we sign up to relationship. Um, the church is, is that. Um, and um, I think where discipleship comes in so powerfully and crucially is it, it's, it's intentional relationship. Um, I think rather than just coming to church and, and you're saying I'm part of this community and disappearing again, it's, it's an in, creating intentional moments where um, I meet with somebody to further and better my relationship with God. Um, and I'm a bit geeky here, tell me to shut up if you want. Um, I looked at what discipleship meant, and it's actually something that's only found in the New Testament. Um, in Greek, it means uh, learner, and in Latin, it means a scholar. Um, and I just thought that Jesus and the 12 disciples were sort of the, 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 the perfect picture of what it meant to be discipled. Um, they were challenged, stretched, told off, um, encouraged. Um, and there was two bits that I thought, um, that thought really sort of stood out for me. Um, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11 about follow my example as I follow Christ. And it's having somebody in your life. Um, Paul is that for me at the minute in terms of this man sets an example that I may follow. Um, and gradually, you know, I will build up relationships with people that are spiritually younger than me as well. And um, it's that, that progression, that intentional relationship with somebody that helps further your faith. Um, so that's, that's what it means to me. Thanks, Fraser. We're going to have an opportunity to pray in a minute. And what I feel God calling us to is a, um, a willingness to entrust to one another what he's doing in our lives and to share on a deeper level. I'm actually stewing up this morning here in this waistcoat, but I wanted to wear a waistcoat because I wanted to wear this watch, <laughs> which, which is my granddad's. It was my granddad's. My granddad gave me this watch when I was five in 1963. Work it out. 1963. He said to me, one day this watch will be yours. It's a beautiful watch. And it's got a lovely uh, fob on the other end. And, um, and I've told Nathan, my eldest son, who's now 25, that I'm giving him this watch, that this watch will become his. I will entrust this watch to him because I know he will take care of it and he will value it. And in that same passage in 2 Timothy, Paul says, Paul's charge to Timothy is to entrust, there's the word, to reliable people, that which he's heard Paul say in the presence of many witnesses. Your Christian story is a valuable experience. It's a prized possession, but you're not meant to keep it to yourself. We're meant to journey together and to disciple one another. It's part of the deal. Will you stand? I believe God's calling us this morning to see um, a spirit of, well, in essence, the spirit of Polycarp released into our midst.
that spirit which will build us up to a place of sharing our faith, to a place of sacrifice, to a place of being willing to entrust to one another what he's doing in our lives to encourage them. It's a place where we're encouraged to keep on going, to not hold back. I think we have set fine examples, actually, by the octogenarians who are in this church family. And I'm going to ask them to mingle and to pray in a minute, so get yourselves ready. But if you feel prompted and stirred this morning by this message in any way at all, will you move from where you're standing into either the middle aisle or the side aisles? And will you do it now? Move straight away. Thank you. If you're prompted by by this message, by the impetus, by the example, by the sheer guts that Polycarp had, by his desire to serve God, to honour God in the face of all opposition, to be willing to say, how can I deny him when I consider what he's done for me? How can I not stand up and be counted and say, let the fire come, do what you will, I trust him. I can't not trust him because of the example of what he's done for me. Bless you, folks. Now, let me pray. And that's what I would love to do is I'd love the ministry team to mingle, but also I'd love the octogenarians, seriously, to move out of their pews. And where are you, Jeff? (laughs) Not quite. All right. I would want you to mingle and to pray. And when you've been prayed for, pray for someone else. I'm commissioning you here and now to pray for other people that this spirit would be released in our midst, that we'd see a whole new wave of discipleship in our church. Off you go.